0: Hiya, and welcome back to the Artists in Residence podcast. You are listening to series two with me, your host, Isabel Wilkinson. The Artists in Residence podcasting community exists to help take good ideas and turn them into action. Born from the questions, what is creativity and how can we use creativity for good? We bring people together to share their experiences and ideas so we can innovate and drive forward solutions to issues that affect people and the planet. When it comes to the biggest issues, we are all artists in residence. In today's episode, I spoke with Nancy Roder, a stylist and creative consultant who, alongside Elizabeth Norris, created Dust Off, a creative project raising awareness of and fundraising for global humanitarian causes. And that was in collaboration with War Child UK, And and through the project, Nancy and Elizabeth have brought together a huge number of prolific photographers to sell prints and make money to support children globally. I spoke to Nancy on a Sunday evening while she was sat in her car waiting for her son to finish football. So the audio on this one is a little bit tinny, but it's so worth it because nancy told me all about her career working in the fashion industry for the last 25 years she told me how she got to witness people expressing themselves through fashion when she was growing up in the 80s the process of working with Warchild uk her disillusionment with social media and of course we talked about creativity i hope you enjoy this episode and as always do let us know on social if you do thanks for listening <music>
1: actually went to university and I did photography and then I decided that I didn't really have a photographic vision I felt and um, and I was frustrated by that and I'd always been really kind of interested in fashion but maybe more from a sort of popular culture point of view I was you know I was grew up in the 80s where there was
0: youth
1: Movements like there have never ever been before or since. I mean, in the 80s, you were either, a, you know, you were a rockabilly, you were a rockabilly, or you were a punk, or you were a model, you were, a, you were every kid was part of some tribe, mm. you know, down all the way down to casuals. I mean, when I look around my now, I just go, Well, where are, there's nothing, there's one homogenous look. Mm. Emos don't even exist. <laughs> so I really felt like I grew up in this period of you know where youth were really really you know good at expressing who they were and joining a group of other people who are into the same music or lifestyle or whatever it was actually really exciting and I think that's actually what got me into fashion because you know I was really excited by that and I also found that talking to people I could disseminate disseminate the language of what people were saying Mm. with their with their uniforms you know what tribe they were in and I you know like you know like in the late 70s you know it wasn't very obvious which men were gay but age 10 or something I could I knew already that czech shirt handlebar moustache meant gay man Mm. (laughs) in a way that my mum had no clue about. So I was quite early in recognising mm. the signals that people were sending each other through their clothing. So I think the natural thing for me was to go into the fashion business. So that's what I did. I didn't really know anything about it. So I just came back to London and just started assisting and and just carried on from there, really.
0: So which group did you associate with?
1: Different ones. I think I was a bit like an the 80s. There was a 50s revival. So I think I was a little bit rockabilly. I used to go and see Kinko and the Meteors and the Cramps.
0: Amazing.
1: We would go to clubs, but in the clubs, everybody would be there. I mean, the mods wouldn't be there. But all the punks and the rockabillies and the sort of emo people and goths everybody used to go to the same clubs even though we had these different tribes it wasn't like we weren't together.
0: Coming back to London and assisting how did how did that has that progressed over the last 25-30 years for you?
1: Well um, I started off by assisting Venetia Scott um, that was the first really full-time person and then I got involved with like my friends who are assisting other people you know how it is you you know you you become friends with other people who are assisting and then you meet other people and then before I knew it I was at the face working there nearly full time and doing editorials and things like that so it just all spawned from that it all happened very quickly for me I was incredibly lucky mm. but I also it was also in a you know the early 90s period of mid 90s was an incredibly exciting time in fashion business and fashion photography, because it was the first time, actually, because of the grunge movement, the sort of class structure of the fashion business was being broken. Because before the 90s, it was a very sort of like, you know, if your daughter isn't that intelligent, you go and send her off to work at Vogue after she's been to some incredibly expensive private school. And suddenly, like all these other kids were coming and having a comment about fashion and, and getting exposure through ID in the face. And suddenly, people at Vogue wanted some of it, you know? Mm. And suddenly, all those class barriers were a little bit broken down in a way. You know, the, there were people working for Vogue who, you know, maybe didn't go to private school yeah you know or didn't come from a middle-class background and so it was quite exciting in a way the sort of first time the tables had been turned in fashion you know. yeah that was good it was really exciting and very different references you know like dave sims was bringing very different references you know from the history of photography that had ever been referenced before you know people like george platt lines and people like that so it was yeah and also having done photography obviously I knew who people like John Platt Lyons were and all these kind of artists so yeah it was really exciting.
0: Amazing and and so right now you know the end of 2022 how is your work as a stylist kind of what's the output of that now who are you working with and and what does that look like on a daily basis for you?
1: Well, it's a mixture, really. I mean, the main thrust of my work is really through Dries van Noten. I don't really do editorial so much anymore. I got a bit disillusioned by it. And I think there's a lot of young people who've got maybe a lot more relevant things to say than I have. Um, And I'm quite happy to pass the baton on. But I do really enjoy doing my collaborations with designers and working on a body of work that's really solid which is you know a collection and I love doing that.
0: Amazing so to talk more about photography and in particular Dust Off can you tell me a little bit about what Dust Off is and how you got started with it?
1: Dust Off is a community of photographers a lot of them fashion people that we've worked with the group of us but also some people who may have dabbled in fashion, and some people who haven't dabbled in fashion at all. And um, the point of Dust Off is to raise funds for War Child. And the whole premise of the project kind of came out of me feeling very frustrated, you know, living in an era where we seem to be stumbling from crisis to crisis and people's only outlet seems to be sort of being social media warriors and you know and I can I sort of got a disillusioned by being making comments on because you're, you're just you know preaching to the converted and actually isn't doing anything mm. so at an important point I was like literally I don't know if I am the person I think I am if I don't do something and that's how sort of dust off came about
0: and so what did that initial you had did you have the idea to approach photographers or how did that come to reality well,
1: um, I was I was in Berlin and I was sitting waiting for the S-Bahn at the Hauptbahnhof and a train came in and the train opposite was from Poland and it was bringing Ukrainian refugees and I just saw all these women and children and really old women with you know pulling a rolls with all their life possessions you know 80 something years of life putting a rolls i just felt incredibly moved i mean I, I to my children's embarrassment you know i just had tears rolling down my cheeks and i just thought oh my god how can i stand by mm. and post something i mean it just felt so ridiculous And I just thought, we just got to do something. And then my cousin, he's a photojournalist who's worked Mm. for the last 30 years covering war and and conflict all around the world. I mean, he's been everywhere from, you know, Palestine to Iraq to wherever. And he posted some pictures of kids sitting on stations in Ukraine with all their, you know, their favourite toys and you know, getting on the train to Berlin or wherever, and I suddenly thought, mm, maybe this is the way to do it. Maybe the thing I can do is, like, pull people together, because I just didn't know how to do it in a fashion way. Mm. And but photography, sort of, other people have done that as well, so it sort of felt like tried and tested in a way, and then, um, I just started asking people and I spoke to Lizzie and and Lizzie had sort of had a not a similar experience she had met a woman on a train who had been helping a lot of Ukrainian designers you know somehow get their collections out of Ukraine and show them in Paris and stuff like that so she'd had this long discussion on Eurostar with this woman so we kind of both came to the conclusion that we had to do something and yeah I think I feel like it's Time for some direct action
0: <laughs> no absolutely and um yeah. it's a wonderful project and i wonder how you approached war child to get to get them on board with the project as well
1: well there was because there's me lizzie and cat who are who are working on it mainly and we sat down and thought right who do we who do we approach because you know with the whole ukraine you know the ukraine thing was seriously visible in europe because those people came and, and, you know, you go off the Eurostar and there's somebody standing there with a poster saying, are you from Ukraine? So it's, it was very easy to have a bond with that because it was happening on your doorstep. I mean, less in this country. I mean, we're, you know, very blind to the issues of refugees, as we all know. Um, But then I was very conscious about not doing something purely Ukrainian because, you know, I got slightly disgusted by some of the comments about people saying oh you only care about Ukrainians because they're white people for me that did that's not really an argument that you know, that's someone telling somebody that they're not going to do something because you know it was it was like a get out clause however i did take those things on board and I do recognise that a lot of other countries are suffering wars, so we really felt it was important to choose a charity that was dealing with war, all o- wars all over the world and the effects of war all over the world. So, War Child really did seem the obvious choice because other charities like UNICEF, I mean, the chances of ringing their switchboard and actually speaking to anybody and, and forging a, a relationship was seriously unlikely.
0: Hmm.
1: War Child being London-based and, and a relatively small charity, you know, I really we really felt that that could be a really a good partnership. You know, plus also they have a long relationship with the music industry and the fashion industry and the music industry, they do cross over a lot. So it kind of made sense. And the fact that the two founders were image makers, they were filmmakers, you know, also seemed to make sense
0: yeah all connected up and so for this first edition you mm-hmm. have gathered up 150 prints how is more like 180 it's 180 wow <laughs> so how how on earth did you go about choosing the photographers to work with and then working with them to choose their prints or or directing them on what you needed from them
1: well, I started like, okay, now I've had this, we've had this idea, where do we start? And obviously for Lizzie, she's got her roster of artists that she represents, so that was a no-brainer, they would all come on board. Then I was like, okay, so where do I start? And then I said, okay, I'll just start with anybody I ever worked with. Most of them said yes. Mm. Most of them, even the people I was scared of. <laughs> scared, terrified of asking. You know, because you just feel like, oh, I'm putting my professional reputation on the line here, asking something for free. But most people are absolutely wonderful and, you know, super keen to help. I think because a lot of people in our business know that they're very well paid for what they do and they're not really asked to give so much back. And Mm. So when somebody does ask them, they're very willing to give. It's seen as such a shallow industry, which in some ways it is. But on other levels, I think a lot of people are very sort of politically engaged or community minded, or, you know, and then there's like lots of people like Ukrainian photographers who are obviously deeply affected by the issues of war. And then, you know, a few photographers that, you know, have spent time in refugee camps in Africa and, Russian photographers also who are, you know really against the war like so many young Russian people you know so it was it was just yeah inter- you know a lot of people had good reason to be part of it in a way.
0: Yeah absolutely and and I guess photography and fashion photography in particular is to do with people it's this you know it's the study yeah. of the people that you're, you're photographing and yeah. you can't be removed from that and only connect it to the clothes, I guess.
1: To do with selection, I mean, we just ask people and other people ask people. And then John, who who's one of our printing partner, he had got addicted to asking
0: people. Right. And ended
1: up bringing so many photographers. Wow. Up, it was amazing. Some photographers said, here's, you know, and they gave me 46 images and I had to just choose one of them. Some mm. photographers just gave me one images and some said, here's five, choose one. and so with each photographer it kind of went differently and I kind of didn't want to impose on the photographers w- what the subject matter should be because I felt like diversity was key and that somehow a huge mix would come out if we did just leave it open in a way and, and I think that is what happened. It's like hugely diverse.
0: And yeah. and authentic to each of the photographers' individual you know, yeah. I guess what the cause means to them as well.
1: I mean, there was only a few rules, obviously, you know, when it's a charity to do with children, you have to be careful about how you depict children, mm-hmm. you know, there's rules to do with war child, If you can't have a child with a weapon and things like that. So, but you know, they were pretty minimal, the rules.
0: So this is edition one. Do, yeah. do you have plans for an edition two and and how much longer have we got left on this first round?
1: it goes till the 30th of November so yeah that would be a big huge part of three months of my life yeah but worth it because I don't know it feels really good
0: absolutely and I know when we were talking to a this interview you said that you had a, an event for Dust Off. yeah what did that look like
1: it was in the photo book cafe and we printed out everybody's image and stuck it onto the walls and you know we had to think about a lot of stuff because we had to think we were like oh can we do it on this quality of paper because we don't want to upset the photographers and we want to make sure their images are but then on the other hand you had to kind of balance the fact that this was charity money being spent and therefore it's not appropriate to spend a thousand pounds printing these images out you know so yeah there's a lot of stuff like that goes on you sort of moral wrestling about what's the correct thing to do and
0: things like that so that was a celebration of the people involved
1: well i just yeah i just think we wanted to say thank you to people and acknowledge their part in it and i think it's also very nice because lots of photographers they don't mix that much because they're always working on their own so i think it was nice also for them to come together as a you know community that's
0: done some good and meet each other and say hi to people and stuff like that what is next for dust off prince
1: i don't know i have fan- different fantasies i mean i i would like it to be almost like a cooperative where different things happen and that you know there isn't maybe me and lizzie and kat in charge mm-hmm. or but maybe to guide people and you know that people would come to us and go, oh, I want to do this, because I think maybe the sort of print cell formula might have been overdone. So I just wonder if there's other ways of using imagery, whether it's in book form or zines or blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm quite interested in recording something about the Ukraine war creatively, because mm. I know there's a lot of artists still there, and there's a lot of artists in Paris and Berlin, and it would be quite interesting to just to create a document of now yeah and how, absolutely. how they feel about now and how they feel about the past of ukraine and because there's you know photographers that are involved in the project like yelena yemchuk who you know who've done a lot of work on ukraine and stuff like that so i, I think it could be quite an important document social document And that's something I fantasise about, but whether it becomes a reality or not, who knows.
0: (laughs) Well, it's amazing to hear about the idea and and I hope it does come to life.
1: I think the the kids, I call them the kids because they're all in their 20s and stuff. I think they're quite, you know, eager to have a voice, you know, so I think it would be interesting.
0: Nancy, I'd love to ask you something I ask all of our guests, which is the very big question of what does creativity mean to you?
1: It's a desire, isn't it? It's about, I can't rest unless I get this thing out, I think, in a way. And whether it's like, you know, my friend knitting a scarf or another friend making a bit of pottery, there's a desire to create. And I think maybe that's an old sort of thing that goes back to Neanderthal times or something, in our genes that we just need to make and create and like we've been doing it since the beginning of time i don't know whether it's painting or it's cooking or it's whatever human beings seem to need to do it for their own mental health and i think it is something to do with mental health in a way
0: and it certainly seems to be something that does kind of transcend different cultures and different languages as you say that that need to create yeah yeah
1: I think it's in our genes somehow, whether you need to build. It can take so many different forms or write or whatever. There's, there's not many people you know who just don't do anything.
0: For someone out there, you know, you've you've had this amazing career as a stylist working in fashion and now bringing dust off to life. For someone with a really good idea or something they really believe in, or that urge, as you say, to something get something out what would your advice be to them on how to bring something to life
1: just perseverance and also not to be afraid and just to put yourself on the line because you know there was people I was so scared of asking and I just just sort of thought just do it and yeah.
0: then I just
1: wrote the email and closed my eyes and thought, oh. <laughs> and then Something back came back positive, you know, immediately. And you just sort of think, right. And that kind of gives you the spur to continue. It's just like, you just got to have the balls and try. And if you fail, it doesn't matter in a way. Mm. I think the most important thing is always trying. And, and you'll learn something even from failing, you know. Yeah. But most of the time, I think people don't fail. I think most of the time people, or they find a way. It's also accepting what, the limitations are at a certain point, but then not accepting them. Always wanting forcing yourself to think big, but then also at the same time accepting if the biggest thing you expected
0: didn't happen. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well it's thinking creatively throughout the process and if you yeah. come to come to a hurdle.
1: Because with every project it it there's all you know, it's like a river. It flows and suddenly it goes round a bend and sometimes it goes off trying and sometimes it's a little bush, everything crashes. And it's just like, it's a journey that you have to go on. It'll always change. And it'll always be something slightly different than you imagine. If you start a project and it's going to be like this and it's going to end like this, then you, I think, take the risk of or being disappointed or whatever, you know, it's like, you just have to go on the journey, learn to make your creative decisions along the way. and You'll often not end up in a better situation, I think.
0: A huge thank you to Nancy for her time speaking to us about Dust Off, the project with War Child UK, her creative career, and what it means for her to take her frustrations and turn them into something good. I just love Nancy's thoughts on what it means to be creative and how it is a human urge. So if you resonated with anything she had to say, let her and us know on social. Thank you so much for listening.